You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the podcast. This is Real Talk with Zuby. Today, we've got on a special guest. Of course, we have special guests every single week. Today, we've got on Patrick Kirby, who is a Liberty Zealot. And he is also the director, writer, and creator of the Max Justice online web series. How you doing, Pat? I'm doing great, Zuby. Good to see you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So I've just done a quick intro right there, but why don't you introduce yourself to the people? Sure. Um, uh, Patrick Kirby, and uh, I'm, uh, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, I uh, am a liberty zealot. I'm obsessed with liberty. I think it's the path to saving humanity. And uh, I don't like this path that we're on of uh, collectivism and things like that. I think that leads to nowhere but violence and, and trouble, kind of a liberty zealot. That's cool. So when you say the word liberty, what exactly does that mean to you? It's one of those word, it's one of those words that gets thrown around quite a lot, but it seems like different people have slightly different meanings or understandings of it when they use it. That's a good point, you know, and it, and it's different than freedom because people say, ah, freedom, but freedom can be freedom can be great, except you know, it's like freedom is anarchy, can be anarchy, and anarchy is great till the a-holes show up. So liberty is a a rule of law that protects the rights of the people. So the so the task of the government is to protect the rights of the people. To me, that's what liberty means. What is it that makes you feel that liberty is under threat at the moment? Well, this whole thing of collectivism and and um the social justice warriors and the attacks on free speech and the uh, kind of the attacks on everything. Um, all the individual liberties that are protected in the Bill of Rights in the United States are are under threat from multiple sources. And uh, people just don't have a reverence for it. It's been a decades of abysmal education and people don't have a reverence for, for liberty anymore. There was a, there was a time when uh, someone Someone uh, said, Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. And that brought him national acclaim. These days, that would just, people go, oh, what, what kind of a joke is that? You know, uh, who believes in that? And so we've kind of lost this reverence for, for liberty. And 
the encroach ever encroaching government and everything else is is put it into serious threat. Okay, so for people who are listening and who are thinking, ooh, that sounds a little bit overblown because a lot of people seem to have the idea, especially when it comes to ideas like free speech or something like the Second Amendment, which of course you guys have there in the US. We don't have that here in the UK, obviously. And it's something that a lot of people in the UK and in Europe in general certainly don't understand, especially the um, the Second Amendment thing, because people think that it's uh, people generally think it's paranoia over here. So when they have this idea of, you know, ordinary citizens being allowed to hold guns or, you know, talking about free speech, people will often say, well, if you're not a bad person and you're not trying to spew hateful rhetoric, then what's wrong with having, why do we need free speech? People will essentially say that's the typical challenge to it. So what do you have to say to that? Uh, it's a dangerous, slippery slope because you can see the escalation of it now when, when people are afraid to speak out and things that, that slowly but surely uh, things get eroded and all of a sudden now you can go to jail for saying the wrong thing. And there's this mind police and it's kind of 1984. So I'm of the view that, you know, free speech, that that uh, in a free society, censorship is more evil than hate speech. Hate speech is horrible, but speech should be the foil for bad ideas is better ideas, not censorship. Yeah, I agree with you on that exactly. But um, I've gotten into this debate with with people myself who seem to think that by being hardcore on free speech, it somehow means that you're trying to give a pass to people who want to say hateful things or who want to be racist or homophobic or any other ism or phobia. And I find myself more often recently trying to explain to people this very concept and why it's important, especially because what can be deemed offensive or what can be deemed hate speech is an extremely subjective thing. I mean, I grew up in uh, Saudi Arabia, where obviously these freedoms do not exist. You know, you don't have the right to free speech. You do have blasphemy laws, right? If you say certain things against certain religions or about certain people, you can literally be arrested. You can be prosecuted, thrown in prison, whipped in public, possibly even executed at an extreme. And oh, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. That that's it's like that there. It's like that in countries like uh, Pakistan. In you know lots of Asian countries, Middle Eastern countries, perhaps even some African countries as well. So one thing I do find this goes with a whole lot of things in the Western world, particularly in the Anglosphere, so the UK, USA, Canada, Australia. I think people have become so. I don't know if it's a lack of perspective in terms of kind of not knowing how good people actually have it that they sort of take these freedoms completely for granted and they don't realize, oh, actually, maybe we don't want the government policing these things. So I don't know no. if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, so that's the that's the other extreme. The, go, to, go to the places that don't have free speech. And, you know, these college kids, their minds would be blown. They're going, what? Wait a minute, I can't say, you know, whatever I want things like that. And then, and then, but, but they still don't want you to say stuff that's going to offend them, mm. you know, and they don't understand that that's, that's the extreme. And so we have to live with the other extreme. And, and you said something about giving people a pass. No, I want to jump down their throats. I want to people, <laughs> people who do hate speech. I want to 
assault them with better ideas. Mm. Um, you know, and that that's the way it should be. Again, the foil for bad ideas is better ideas, and the clash of ideas is where the best ones are formed. Are there any ideas that you think are so extreme or so far beyond the pale that freedom of speech should not apply to them? Are there any exceptions to this rule? I've kind of racked my, you know, my mind about that. And of course, there's obviously calling for violence, um, you know, of doxing people and things like that. And I think that's where uh, the pretty basic easy to understand limits there when when physical harm is uh, going to result from from what you say. But I certainly don't think of speech as violence in itself. Mm. So uh, so yeah, it, to me it's it's a pretty clear-cut line. and then anything beyond that, go ahead and say it and face the consequences. Yeah, that sounds uh, very similar to my own position on it. Coming back to what I was just saying earlier, that's just to complete my own thought. One thing I'm, I always say to people is who question this notion of free speech or who think, I don't know why people would think I'm trying to provide cover to horrible people because I'm <laughs> that's not the kind of person I am. But yeah. I'm always trying to explain to people, number one, who is it that sets the rules of what is allowed and what is not allowed? As I just said, I, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, right? So you do not you cannot criticize religion there, right? You cannot say something that is against the Quran or is considered haram to Muslims or do anything that's like that. You know, it's a theocracy. So if it's against the book, then it's against the law. There's no distinction like there is here in Western countries, right? If you live in the USA, if you live in the UK, you can you can criticize religions, you can criticize belief systems, you can criticize individuals, you can do all that without any repercussions. You can insult your politicians. You can call the president, all kind of things. You can jump on Twitter and tweet Trump directly right now saying the most vile stuff, all right? And nobody's going to come knocking at your door. And I, I, again, I just don't think people, it's funny because the same people who will be doing that, right? You'll go on Twitter and you'll see all these people, you know, spewing venomous stuff all day at Trump or at Republicans or whatever, because it's mainly in that direction right now. That's how I'm personally seeing it anyway. And then those same people will be like, oh, wait, 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 but you can't say mean things to people. And right. I'm kind of like, hang on here. Do you, how, how is this not weighing up for you? And even all these marginalized or, or historically marginalized or oppressed groups that you're talking about, whether you're talking about um, whether you're talking about black people or ethnic minorities, or you're talking about gay people, or you're talking about um, women's rights or anything like that, freedom of speech is literally the mechanism by which freedoms were expanded and granted to more individuals. So again, people will say, oh, well, people, what if people try to attack these groups? What if people try to attack gay people or black people or whatever? I'm kind of like, you can't kind of have your cake and eat it too on this one. You see what I mean? It's like, if the freedom of speech was never there. And again, it's not in every country. So women cannot rise up in some of those countries and uh, gain right. equal rights to men. Because if they do, if right. they go and start protesting and they start saying something and going in the street and carrying, they will be arrested within 30 seconds and they will be whipped publicly. And again, I'm just like, I'm tr trying to get this through to people. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to, get, trying to get this concept. It seems very obvious to me, but for whatever reason, people don't seem to get it. I think one of the most important things that people don't get is there is no utopia. Mm. So 
you have once you accept that, you know, then then you can kind of say, okay, so what's the best thing for all? And it's it exactly it's exactly what you said. Who makes the rules? If there's somebody that makes the rules, then the rules are not going to be fair. So it's gonna it's it's got to be you know free speech throughout, or or you're accepting someone who's going to make rules for you. And once that once you start down that road, it uh, it never ends well. So what is it that you think, Pat, that makes you personally so, I mean, you literally described yourself as a liberty zealot. So I think um, most people would probably say they like liberty, but what is it in your life or your experience or anything like that that has sort of led you down this path to where, you, where you've even created a web series based on it, which we'll talk, we'll talk about that um, a little okay. bit later. Okay. Um, well, it was really um, reading about the, and studying the history of the origins in the United States. Um, there was a, a great book by Cleon Skousen called The Making of America, the, the, sub, the Meaning of the Constitution. And it just hit me kind of when I read that book and then a lot of other things that the founders of the United States stumbled upon the formula for the just advancement of humanity. And that is liberty, free markets, and limited government. And you can see the results of that in our half bleep attempt to, to uh, <laughs> the United States has lots of problems, but those basic fundamental principles created the wealthiest and most prosperous and most free nation on earth in, in the history of the earth. And so I believe they stumbled on this formula and we're forgetting it. it it's being lost, um, you know, through lack of education and lack of reverence for it that uh we're kind of losing is it's like it's like we've got the formula for the just advance of humanity and we're throwing away because we hadn't read a book and it's crazy to me so i'm kind of a like i say i'm a zealot i'm going look everybody the the formula is right here and all we have to do is is abide by it because everything else leads to violence you know socialism you know what's the end result of this this hatred of the white man, you know, how, how's that going to end? What's, what's the end goal of, of that? Judging people by the content of their character was, uh, that's the dream, you know, and that's the, that's the end result of liberty where you, um, where individual liberty and you judge people as individuals and kind of throw this tribalism out the window. To me, there's mm. only two tribes. You're, and I'm going to say this one because it's important. The, <laughs> is good people versus the assholes. And we have a choice at every moment in which of those tribes we're going to be in. Just be a good person and everything's cool. Here, here. I, uh, I can definitely subscribe to that. And I'd say, yeah, I don't know if I'd split the world that binary. I think we've, yeah, well, I <laughs> guess if it's a, if it's an individual choice in the moment, then actually yeah, I would, because we all have the capability yeah. of good and evil. You know, none of us are 100% good and angelic all the time. We all sometimes make bad decisions or treat people badly or do or say things which we regret. But um, that sounds like a much better split to me than uh, black and white or yeah, <laughs> rich and yeah. poor or any sort of class distinction or anything like that. So one thing you said there that which, which kind of um, touched a nerve for me was you, you talked about um, the words of Martin Luther King Jr., judging people by the content of their character, of course rather than by their skin color. Now, I live in the UK, obviously, so the information I get from the States is 
largely through online channels because I have a big American following. Most of the people who listen to this podcast, in fact, are in the USA. I talk to a lot of people in the USA every single day and even on this podcast. And it seems like in the, I want to say the mid nineties to the mid thousands, it seems like pretty much reached a a fairly good position there. And then in the past few years, it seems to, again, this is my perspective, it seems to have regressed a little bit in that regard. Like people are falling back into this tribalism. So it went from being very, very tribal a few decades ago to this bonding happening and people kind of forgetting about the racial lines and stuff like that. And now it seems like people are falling back into this and these ideas are being pushed again. And suddenly my skin color, your skin color, these things are becoming super relevant and important. And they're being discussed on the news and in the media and politicians are literally campaigning based on identity politics and all this kind of stuff. So why is that? Where do you think that's come from? Wow. You know, you totally hit the nail on the head. And I saw this happening and I was horrified. I would look at my my friend, my kids, my son's group of friends, you know, around what you're saying. And it wasn't 90. I think it was as late as 2008 uh, where I look at them and they don't care about race, religion. They don't they didn't care, you know, and they still don't. But I watched in horror as one of my episodes on uh, one of my Max Justice episodes is about police brutality and police abuse of power. And, you know, there's a formula. The formula for good government is transparency and accountability. And I think the police don't have any transparency or accountability. And I watched in horror as Ferguson and a few other events were transformed by the media and the administration from a police power issue to a race issue. And it was like there was this dying ember that was racism, and these guys just poured the gas on it. And now it's gotten crazy. You know, the oppression Olympics has just gotten crazy. And uh, I know you see, I have a big red birthmark, and this brought me an interesting perspective growing up on the foolishness of judging a person by immutable characteristics, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, so it was, uh, an interesting perspective to me. So, you know, I've always abhorred racism because I see how s- foolish it was for people to judge me by, you know, a mark on my face. And to me, that's the same thing. You know, you judge people by their character, not, not, uh, what they look like. Yeah. So what was life like growing up for you, man? Where was it that you grew up exactly? I was, uh, grew up until I was 10 in a little small town in California called Bass Lake. The movie, um, Tom Candy movie, uh, The Great Outdoors, I think it was called, was shot there. So if you want to see Bass Lake, that was it. Moved to Las Vegas when I was 10, uh, kind of grew up in the desert and, uh, it was interesting. School was was not a great fun place for a skinny little kid with a big red birthmark on his face. But I, I early on, I was way into comics. So I don't know, kind of as an escape mechanism, but it was very useful. I took it as it's a superpower. Mm. That my birthmark was a superpower in that it was, I'll say it again, an asshole detector. So anybody who would... <laughs> 
anyone who would judge me by that and not get to know know me uh you know just because of that that's an asshole and i don't need to spend any time waste any time with him so i i took it as a as a superpower that's fair enough man and how much has the usa changed since then i mean it must have changed quite a lot throughout the course of those those several decades so what are the sort of main changes that you've seen whether that's culturally in society in politics just in a kind of across the board i'm i'm pretty curious to know you know it's the i didn't i didn't really notice government until till much later in life uh and i didn't really notice the ever slow encroachment of of government and the and the loss of liberty you know it's uh, uh especially when i started my own business that's when i start you know i can really track it going what it took to start a business when i did in 1984 and what it takes to start a business now and how much it costs and everything like like that it's just this that's the disease of of socialism and statism actually is it it just creates this ever growing big brother and and a slow loss of liberty mm. in terms of some of those issues that we talked about earlier so things like i don't know say things like racism or homophobia or anything like that. I mean, were those things noticeably a lot more rampant several decades ago in your own experience? Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a relatively young dude, but of course, you know, you, you read stories, you, you hear about things, you read about history and all that. And I personally feel very, uh, I think, I think we all, you know, as bad as things can seem sometimes, I think we're all super blessed to be living in the times that we are right now. Um, yeah, I think regardless of who somebody is and what they look like and what they're into or whatever, I do think on the positive, although it seems like we're living in this age of like a certain type of intolerance, I think in another way, people have grown to be a lot more tolerant of some of those surface value things. So have you noticed that change significantly in the USA in, in general? Well, it uh, it's interesting because I I didn't really I I suppose I was just thinking back on you know when I moved to Las Vegas I was in fifth grade and I think there were two or three black kids in my class at that time. Culturally, uh, things have definitely changed, you know. But I think the the important change is this loss of reverence for liberty. You know, when I was in school. We were taught about, you know, George Washington cannot tell a lie, which was probably a lie, but we were taught to revere the founders and revere. <laughs> that was, that was a lie, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we were taught to revere Liberty. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school was the first year we, they didn't have civics classes. So I still had American history and things like that, but we didn't have civics classes, which you know, were to teach us about how the constitution works and the origins of it and things like that. And I think that was a real mistake, you know, because people, it's like you said earlier, people don't realize what we've got and they're not going to realize it until it's gone. And then they're really going to miss it. Yeah. Something I want to talk to you a little bit about, especially for um, the people who are listening, who are based in the UK is uh, about the second amendment. This is something I've actually, um, I think I'll probably have a future guest on the podcast to talk about this specifically, but I think the second amendment is so okay, good, good. Cause (laughs) I, I get in debates about this a lot because I would say that 
less than 1% of the British population can even remotely understand the idea of the Second Amendment. And so can you just sort of explain it Absolutely. to people who are like, why on earth does anybody need a gun, let alone like a rifle or something like that? So just give it to us. <laughs> Absolutely. Second Amendment is based on the principle that all creatures have the right to defend themselves. For humans, that means having access to any weaponry that the bad guys might have. And that's basically it. You know, it's 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 based on that principle. And when you can look at history and see what happens when when the populace is unarmed, you know, the millions killed in China, the millions killed in Russia, the you know, millions killed in Germany, when the population is not able to defend themselves, even though your government may seem benevolent benevolent now, it uh sometime in the future that could go the other way um we're one natural disaster away from you know what imagine what happens in a week when the food stops trucks stop coming if that ever happens mm. how are you going to protect your family how are you how are you going to protect yourself um you know everything looks great when society is functioning but if it doesn't then what happens and good people Monsters exist and good people have the right to defend themselves against them. And that's kind of the principle behind the second amendment. Okay. So I understand that. Yeah. But I'm going to give the, I'm going to give the. In England, the, there's, you know, kind of, I hear about the knife attacks. I'm not there. So I don't know how bad it is. I hear about people throwing acid on people things like to me, I, I hear about one of the things that I hear is that, um, robberies are usually home invasions because they come when people are home because they're going to be have their wallets and their purses on them and things like that more than they are in the United States because the United States are going, okay, they might have a gun. So I'm going to rob the house while nobody's home. You know, in, in America, we think that justice happening on site before any innocents get injured is a good thing. I understand that. So to give the typical British view pushback on that. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a lot of Americans on this one, so I, I, I understand both sides of the coin better than I think, uh, certainly than most British people do. So to give the, the sort of usual pushbacks, a lot of people just think that that whole notion and the idea of defending against a tyrannical government or a potential tyrannical government, a lot of people think that that is super paranoid, number one. And then number two, the typical pushback would be, well, if the government really wants to attack its citizens, they've got the army, they've got the police, they've got they've got tanks, they've got all kinds of weapons. So what is your pithy handgun or AR-15 going to do? Right. I, I just had this conversation with someone. It's, uh, for one, are people who are in the military give an oath to uphold and defend the constitution, not a politician, not a thing. So it's a question, but how many of those people would be on our side and how many would be on the government side if, if they called for people to collect guns in the United States. So there's that, but there's also the basic truth of, uh, of war uh, with an armed population. It may be easy to conquer, but it's impossible to hold. You look at, Afghanistan, you look at Vietnam, it's mm -hmm. like the greatest army on earth can't beat those guys because they've all got guns hidden in a cave somewhere. 
yeah. you know, and, and there would be guns everywhere in the United States. So, uh, yeah, you can storm into a town with your tanks and everything like that, but your food supply has got to come and everything else. And, uh, and they're impossible to hold. So, and the other obvious pushback is, okay, if you're going to look at the crime rates between the USA, you're going to look at the homicide rate, the gun crime rate, and then you're going to compare it to the UK or Australia or Canada or somewhere that's got very strict gun laws. Of course, in those countries, you typically have a much lower homicide rate period and also gun crime rate compared to the US. So how do you sort of weigh up that compromise? Well, the uh, most of the time, time the statistics are uh, crimes with guns instead of violent crimes per 100,000, which I think is the important statistic to look at. And uh, take away a couple of cities where things are really, really bad, like Chicago and Philadelphia and stuff like that. And the United States is like on the in the top 10 safest places on Earth. Um, you know, so, yeah, take away those stats and it's it's one of the top 10 safest places but uh the uh sorry i lost my train of thought no that's um, all right one thing i was going to say there is would i be right in saying that the places with the highest rates of gun murders are also the places where gun laws are very strict that is correct yeah okay. there's no so basically in the places where the highest uh gun murders the good guys don't have guns you know because the the gun laws are very strict so they're not able to be armed and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally against gun-free zones, you know, the, all these school shootings and everything like that is to me is just crazy that they don't allow teachers to go get themselves t trained and, and armed. You this know, is, the, that, what you just said there is going to make people's heads in the UK explode. <laughs> that, that, that's the one, that's the one I remember when, um, it's I an emotional response, you know, mm -hmm. because, they they go oh guns kids you know ah crazy but think about it for a second you know if if uh take parkland for instance so there's a guy walking down the hallway shooting people with like no regard that anyone's ever going to be there to shoot back they call the police now the police are on the outside they they just kind of hid behind their cars because they're going oh we got to wait for swat because they're going to go in but if you had an armed teacher just waiting in the hallway till the kid turns the corner, you know, and is able to put him down, how many lives get saved? The only difference between the guy concealed carrying in the theater and the policeman that you're going to call if somebody comes in and starts shooting the place up is a 30-minute response time, and the guy in the theater has the element of surprise. So those are two big tactical things. So people that just have this emotional response to it and they don't stop and think about it tactically, you know, and logically. And so do you think that there are, so what you'll hear a lot of people saying is, I believe in the, it's a bit like the free speech one people say, I believe in the second amendment, but we need more controls or more restrictions or more common sense gun laws those type of things. So do you think there's any room for those kind of arguments? How absolute do you go with the second amendment? Should people be allowed to own bazookas, tanks, grenades? Like how far do you go? No, I, I you know, I think we've kind of settled on the, on the thing that we're semi-auto uh, weapon is as high as we can go. There's a, the bump stock ban that's going on right now, uh, which 
kind of a bump stock is a is a thing that makes a semi-auto act like a full auto. I don't agree with that bump stock ban because it's something that can be 3D printed or replicated really, really easy. So the bad guy's going to be able to make one. And so, you know, again, the gun laws is only going to affect the people who abide by the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the so the bad guys don't care about the laws and the, the good guys do. So the gun laws only affect the good guys. So why can't I have a bazooka if, if I lived in the States? There, you know, there, there's limits on that. So, <laughs> no, I, I know, I know yeah. there are legally. I'm yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just sort, sort of pushing it. Yeah. It's not, not easy to, not easy to buy a bazooka. I've yeah. tried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I guess bazooka, you could say there's a lot of collateral damage. How about a sniper yeah. rifle? Uh, well, a sniper rifle is what you go deer hunting with. So it's a, That's true. you know, yeah. So they're going to be out there. Uh, here's the other thing. You have to uh, accept the reality that evil cannot exist in an inanimate object. And people should think that way and they should certainly legislate that way. So you're not going to you're not going to make bad people stop doing stuff by making something illegal because bad people don't care if it's illegal and you're not going to get rid of guns in the United States. Um, That's just not going to happen. There's more guns than there are people in the United States. I probably up the average. (laughs) 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 And if you ever get out here, we can go shooting. Okay. (laughs) If you want. Um, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. As long as it's not a person, I'm down. No, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, of, course. of course, no. I mean, people don't want to hurt anybody. You know, it's the, it's the good people versus asshole thing again. You know, most people don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to be able to protect themselves from and their families for from whatever happens. So that's the idea of the Second Amendment. Awesome, man. I think that's a really good overview for people who especially people who don't understand it wherever they are based. So mm-hmm. Pat, I want to talk a little bit more about your online web series, which is Max Justice. So tell us a little bit about how how you created it, why you created it, and what it's all about. All right, good. The um, I was in deeply involved in politics. I got involved in politics. I was a, a supporting when, when Ron Paul, I heard Ron Paul was running for office in 2007. I thought, oh man, here's a guy running in the mainstream that I can totally get behind. And I just kind of became a fanatic about it. And uh, I got, I was, you know, the first person in my county to become a delegate to, to the National Republican Convention supporting Ron Paul. And I was on the platform committee at uh, uh, the national convention in Tampa in 2012. And basically, I came to the realization after that that there needed to be a philosophical revolution before there could be a political one, that people just had no reverence for, for liberty. And politics was more about, you know, uh, voting for the guy that's on our, our team who we think who can win regardless of his principles. And I thought, okay, there needs to be a philosophical revolution. So I said, I'm a filmmaker, so I'm going to create a superhero story that I'm going to kind of target the gaming 
generation and superhero generation stuff like that because i think gamers are all libertarians and they just don't realize it because they're they play things that are, are were created by capitalism and free markets imagination and innovation and uh you know all that stuff could be regulated away very easy if this you know zealotry continues to go oh video games cause violence and they'll start putting restrictions on them if government keeps growing that's going to happen so i said you know there's 12 million people that play world of warcraft 12 million people could affect the vote so i said all right i'm going to i'm going to start doing this and you know i think that other things have happened jordan peterson and dave rubin and people like that dave rubin um, is that a rubin report t-shirt you're wearing or t-shirt that's on my camera's backwards but sorry <laughs> uh i think they are achieving this uh philosophical revolution but there definitely needs to be a connection from the philosophy to the politics at some point in time but i've kind of gotten off the subject of max justice so max justice is basically you can do go to maxjustice.tv he has a lot of there's a lot of memes there that are basic universal truths and uh I just kind of created episodes to where uh max is kind of displaying principles um you know his principles of liberty that kind of put on get put on display with these episodes so if you were to describe the series to somebody who hasn't watched it yet how would you how would you describe it I would say it's a liberty-leaning superhero, uh, Adventures of a Liberty-Leaning Superhero. That's cool, man. And how did you? Where, when did you first come across the concept? I mean, you said you were into comic books when you were younger. Yes. Which, uh, which comics specifically, which heroes, which villains, and oh, uh, which of those went on to influence what, you, what you've created? X-Men, the Avengers, uh, mostly Marvel, except for Batman. I uh, mm -hmm. always loved, loved Batman. Pretty much loved all the Marvel stuff and kind of followed a lot of it when I was a kid. You know, it, it's uh, there's an episode where he sits down with his, all of his geek friends to kind of figure out, okay, if you could choose your superpowers because he was able to do this, what would they be? And kind of pick the best ones for the for what uh, what his task was going to be. And so that was good fun. And my son plays Max Justice, so I get to go out and play with my kid when making these episodes. So that's such a blast. Have a that's great awesome, time. man. Yeah. And uh, how many have you made so far, and what's the plan for it in the future? Six episodes. Um, I've, I've done a, the first one was a confrontation with ISIS, which the, basically the theme of that one was, you know, the war, the important war in the world is the good people versus the assholes. And somehow the assholes always end up running things and uh, Max Justice is here to fight back. And then I did a Second Amendment episode uh, where there was a church shooter and I did a police brutality episode. And then the last three are the is a three part origin story that shows how he gets his powers. Ah. And I, I would like to continue. I have uh, several other episodes written along certain themes there's a property rights episode there's a me too episode there's a human trafficking episode uh, that i have written and then along with that some things that kind of go along and continue the story uh you know eventually the cia tries to find out who he is and stuff like that so it's a and what are his powers i've noticed that he's good at making people's heads explode 
Yes. Well, that was uh they came up with the idea of one of the one of his friends says he should have a force field like Susan Storm. And they said, force field, that's just kind of a lame power. And she goes, No, no, because he never she never used it right. Imagine you could make a force field inside somebody's heart or inside somebody's head and just expand it, you know, and and then, and then it becomes a pre, pretty deadly weapon. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's like the it's like uh, in Star Trek. Why didn't they ever use the transporter as a weapon? Just like transport your enemies all out into space. <laughs> it's like uh, just don't think of uh, of kind of nefarious ways to use some of this technology. But so he can teleport. He's uh, somewhat invulnerable, and then he has a force field, and that's basically his superpowers. Sounds, and he has a, sounds like about all yeah. you need, really. Yeah, well, he has an asshole detector, and that's... <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can kind of see people's auras and tell whether they're evil or not, because it's important not to not to blow up heads of innocent people. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, Pat. So, um, in, so in terms of the comic, you said you've got a few more, not comic even, web series. You've got a few more written. How, how far do you want to do you want to take it? I mean, what's the feedback been like? Is it something that you, that you really want it to become like a, a big thing or is it something you're doing more on the side as a hobby? I mean, where do you want it to go? Yeah, right now it's a hobby. You know, I, I had a Patreon uh, account for funding, but I dropped Patreon with the whole Dave Rubin, uh, um, the Sargon affair. Mm -hmm. uh, I dropped Patreon after that. So people can support me on, on PayPal still. You know, and that was the original goal was crowdfunding and, and things like that. That's not going too well right now. Maybe I'll get a Zuby bump. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I will perhaps market it to Netflix or Amazon or some one of these other people that are things that are that are doing things. I think I have enough to show now to where I can uh, show what uh it's about what I can do and, and start marketing it more. I'd love to continue doing it, but you know, I work in the TV industry as a cameraman uh, to kind of pay the bills. And uh, so far uh, it has not been profitable, but you know, I'd love to monetize it in the future, but we'll see what happens. Awesome, man. So where can people find you online? Max justice for all on Twitter. Uh, Max justice number four, all. Uh, on Twitter and uh, same on Facebook. And you can just search Max Justice on YouTube and find my episodes there. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. Sweet. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Pat. It's been awesome speaking with you. Great, great talking to you too. And yeah, if you ever get to the States, come out to Nevada, we can go shooting a variety of, we of weapons and uh, get you some hands on and kind of see what it's all about. Uh, as far as that goes, it's not something to be feared. It's just a tool in the hands of good people. Tools are good. I like shooting guns. Don't worry about me. All right, cool. <laughs> I'll hopefully we can get my bazooka. <laughs> I've got a 50 cal. That's the closest I can get. To okay. <laughs> we'll roll with a 50 caliber. No, right, so bad. Really good to have you on the show, man. Talk soon. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Put some respect on my name Sick like a rain, clicking a bang Yo, 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.